As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and we will keep it to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole hearts. Lead us in the paths of your commandments, for we delight in it. And turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Confirm to your servants your promise that you may be feared. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, we're considering a series through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 8. You'll find that on page 676 of most of the Pew Bibles, uh, between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And we're going to read together the first 21 verses of Proverbs 8 and think about that part of the chapter together. So Proverbs chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, we're familiar with, uh, in musical arrangements, sometimes a song will build to a particular kind of crescendo. Or maybe we can think of the, the hallelujah chorus as it's being sung, that it builds towards all of these hallelujahs, and then there's a great final pause 
where you hope you don't sing on accident, and then it comes with a final hallelujah. You know, it sort of builds to that crescendo, or uh, maybe famously, you know, Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture that builds towards cannon fire. Um, you know, this kind of building up, we're familiar with that music, and in a sense, that's what's been happening in the book of Proverbs. It's been building towards this great statement of wisdom that we find in chapter 8. This is kind of the crescendo um, of the book, of the teaching of wisdom. Uh, one commentator said, the praise of wisdom, which has welled up at many points already, now breaks out in full flow in a sustained appeal of great beauty and immense range. Um, and that's certainly true of this chapter, which is why we can't get through the whole thing today. There's just too much uh, for us to cover. So we just want to think about the first part of this chapter together and to think about why wisdom receives such great praise. Uh, this whole chapter is in praise of wisdom. And we want to think about why wisdom is worthy of such praise. And I think in these first 21 chapters, we see that wisdom is to be praised because she first calls to all. That's one of the wonderful things about wisdom. She calls to all. The second thing we see is that she commands our attention. Uh, Wisdom commands our attention. And finally, wisdom is to be praised because she confers her blessings. She confers her blessings. And that's what we want to think about together. Wisdom is to be praised because wisdom calls to all commands our attention, and confers her blessings. Uh, Wisdom calls to all. We see that at the very beginning of these verses. Uh, The setting for this speech is given to God's people uh, in the first few verses of the book. And we want to think about this setting and just think about the the basics of of this beginning. Who is speaking? Why is she speaking? Uh, For what purpose? Where is she located when she says this speech? To think about some of those basic questions to help understand what this address is intending to do for God's people. Uh, So who is speaking? Uh, Well, it's wisdom personified. Uh, Sometimes you'll read commentators who will call this lady wisdom uh, is speaking. Uh, Lady wisdom isn't a real person, boys and girls. This is sort of a person who's who's kind of make-believe that we pretend as if wisdom is speaking, as if she's a person. And that's what's happening in this text. Wisdom is personified and is crying out to people, uh, calling out to them, fervently uh, speaking, not, not waiting for an audience to assemble, uh, not asking if she might have your attention for a moment. Um, she's calling out. She's crying out her message um, to all who would hear it. And she goes to the places in town that she can be the most visible and the most audible to share her message. She wants to go where she can be seen and heard, uh, where she's going to find an audience. And so where does she go? She goes to all the public places. And that's what verses 2 and 3 are really communicating to us. The heights beside the way, that might mean up on the city walls by the road. At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. She's going to everywhere where you find people. Um, everywhere the uh, public places of the city, um, and not just she's not just going to these places because that's where everybody is. Uh, but think about what these places represent. What do people do at these various places? If you don't know, that's okay. I plan to tell you. Um, but what what are the what is the significance of all these places she's going beyond them just being public places? They're places where important things happen. They're places where important decisions are made. 
Um, when, you, when you start walking down a road, when you're on your way, when you come to a crossroads, what do you have to do? You have to choose which way to go. Uh, you can't do as Yogi Berra says, come to a fork in the road and take it. Uh, you have to make a choice. Right? And so what are people at the crossroads doing, thinking about where to go? People on the way are thinking about where to go. Um, they're making decisions. And wisdom wants to speak into that decision before they make a choice about where to go. The same thing is happening when wisdom speaks at the gates or the entrances to the city. Um, what are the city gates? We know the city gates were more than just a place you walked into the city. There were the place in the city where many important things happened. Um, that was where business was conducted. That's where judicial uh, disputes were settled. Uh, that's where goods were bought and sold. Um, all sorts of important decisions went on there. People would congregate there for all of those many purposes to buy and sell, to settle their disputes, to even transact their politics. Um, so this is the important place in town before people are going to do all of these various activities. They're gathered there, and before they enter in, before they enter into any of these things, wisdom wants to have a word, to call out to them uh, fervently and with conviction in the very places where someone said decisions are made, people are entering into new situations and even embarking on new journeys. Wisdom is speaking particularly to those who are starting out, who are entering into important things, that her voice might be heard before they begin, before they begin their important tasks in the world that they hear from the voice of wisdom. And who does she want to hear what she has to say? Everyone. Uh, her, her, her words are for everyone without discrimination. She wants all humanity to hear what she has to say. To you, O men, I call and my cry is to the children of man. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. She wants you to hear what she has to say. To all of humanity generally and specifically to the people who need to hear what she has to say the most. Uh, to the simple ones who need to learn prudence and to the fools who need to learn sense. Uh, she wants to speak to them particularly. This is kind of interesting because we heard wisdom speak once to this group of people way back in chapter 1 verses 20 to 33 and she was lamenting that they've come to their end without following wisdom and there was nothing that waited for them but judgment. So it's interesting that in chapter 1 wisdom spoke to them when they were already at the end of their lives when it was too late. And now we find wisdom not speaking to them at the end before the choices, after the choices are made, but now she's at them at the crossroads, at the entrances, at the beginning point and saying, before you go out, uh, before you make your choices, before you walk your paths, listen to wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just speak to them at the end when they've made bad decisions. She first comes to them at the beginning and urges to do what she wants all mankind to do. Uh, to follow what she has to say, uh, to do what in particular, to learn it, to learn it. Uh, what, what does it mean to learn something? It means to hear it and to put it into practice, right? That's, that's the way we, we figure out if someone's actually learned something. 
Do they understand it and can they put it into practice? That's what wisdom wants, not just an intellectual knowledge of certain things, but an ability to actually put them into practice in life. So wisdom is not just known but lived. That's what wisdom wants, for people to hear it and to learn it and to live it. Um, That's what God wants all his people to do with his word, that we might hear it and that we might learn it and that we might live it. Um, that's why the heart is so important, um, that the wisdom penetrate and help us to learn sense. Um, Again, we have this this call to the fools, but really to all, to learn sense. And again, just as we saw last chapter, where the young man lacked sense, what did he really lack if we wanted to woodenly take it out of Hebrew, is he lacked heart. Um, And so here, too, if we wanted to woodenly translate the end of verse 5, what we'd say, oh, fools, learn heart. Um, This has to get down into the senses, to the control center of life, so that our minds and our hearts and our wills are all affected by God's wisdom. That's what wisdom wants, for everyone to learn what she has to say. She's calling out to all, and she commands our attention. Uh, This lady speaks like a queen, not as a pleading teacher. Um, She speaks as someone with authority. She issues commands, right? So the first two commands she issues are repeated in verse 5, learn, learn. Um, Then we have another command in verse 6, hear. And another command in verse 10, take. Hear my words, take my instruction. Um, She's commanding the attention of everyone she speaks to, that they might listen to her and learn what she has to say, hear her words and listen to them, take her instruction and and use it to apply to all of life. Um, And along with those commands, she tells us why these things are important, why we should do it, Um, explains why these things ought to command all of our attention. So we have all of those commands, but we also have the reasons we should follow them. And that's how really verses, you know, 6 through 10 into 11 work. They have commands and then reasons why you should listen. Another command and a reason why you should listen. And both her commands and her reasons should command our attention. What does Lady Wisdom really want to, to understand, help us to understand and really take to heart? that it's worthy of the effort to pursue wisdom. That's what the message of verses 6 through 10 really is. It's worthy of the effort to pursue wisdom. It's it's worthy to take the time to do it. And why is that? Well, she gives three reasons. She says her words are flawless. Her instruction is priceless. And their value is endless. Why is it worth taking the time to go through the discipline of learning God's word and learning to live it out in life? Because her words are flawless. There's nothing wrong with these words. They're perfect as they come. She speaks noble things about what is right. Everything wisdom says is totally fair. It's absolutely just. 
Everything God's word has to say can be completely relied upon to be fair and just, the right thing, the fair thing, the equitable thing. It's flawless for its fairness. It's flawless for its truth in verse 7. Wisdom speaks only that which is absolutely true. In fact, wisdom says, I hate anything that's not true. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. I wouldn't even think of saying anything that's not absolutely true. Words are worth listening to because they're perfectly flawless, perfectly fair, perfectly true, and what else? Perfectly righteous. Verse 8 says, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. She speaks without her own agenda. She's not trying to twist the words to get what she wants out of things. She speaks just what is right, just what is righteous, just what God wants us to hear. Um, And she never twists what she has to say. It's worth the effort to learn wisdom. It's worthy of the time and effort because her words are flawless. And her instruction is priceless. That's also what we're taught in verses 10 and 11. There's a value, wisdom says, that can't be matched by the things of this world. Wisdom is so valuable, it's to be preferred to the things of this world. Take my instruction instead of silver, verse 10, and knowledge rather than choice gold. Why? Because it's priceless. It's better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. There's a value to God's word that you can't compare to anything else in the world. To be instructed by God's word is more valuable than anything else you can find in the world. It's to be desired over everything else. Because it's flawless, because it's priceless, and its value is endless. Why does wisdom have to sort of bend over backwards to try to make this push to command our attention? Why why does wisdom have to appeal to us over and over again to pay attention to these things? Um, As one commentator put it, she has kind of a hard sell. Right? He put it this way. She must emphasize the value of her words, for she has a hard sell. She has some hard things to say and some uncomfortable truths to tell. And she talks about self-discipline and not self-indulgence. She has to command attention, cry out for attention, because she's asking for hard things. God's Word asks us, to do hard things. God's word teaches us uncomfortable truths. God's word calls on us for self-discipline. And the value of those things is spiritually discerned. That's why verse 9 is such a key verse. That those who understand, understand. Right? They are all straight to him who understands. And write to those who find knowledge. Um, the only, only through the working of God can we come to see the worth for what they are. 
And that's why wisdom is, is pleading with people to pay attention to how important these things are. Because in comparison to what the world does, the world doesn't do this. It doesn't ask for hard things. The world is always offering us the easy thing, the thing we already want to do. The world doesn't set before us uncomfortable truths. It sets before us all the comfortable truth that we like. It doesn't call on us for self-discipline. It calls on us for self-indulgence. Right? There's nothing difficult. There's nothing uncomfortable. There's nothing self-disciplining in the way the unfaithful wife spoke to the unsuspecting youth in chapter 7. Her whole message was, come in and indulge exactly what you want to do. That message is not a hard sell. You do you is not a hard sell. Uh, some people seem to think that that's some sort of great enlightened thought. Uh, to You know, you do you. Do live your truth. People don't need to be told to do that. They do that all the time on their own, by default. It's wisdom that comes and asks for hard things. It's wisdom that comes and teaches uncomfortable truths. It's wisdom that comes and calls for self-discipline. And it does so because it says, if you want to live, this is the way to live. God's word does that because in the fullness of revelation in Jesus Christ, he said, that's exactly what I'm calling you to do. If anyone would follow after me, what must they do? Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. There's self-discipline. And take up his cross. There's a hard thing. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Come follow me and lose your life. That's an uncomfortable truth. But what does Christ hold out to us? That's actually the way to live. It calls for self-discipline. It calls to do hard things. It calls for uncomfortable truths. But at the end, you live. It's also what he said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Again, hard things, uncomfortable truths. But what is the end of them to those who follow? What's found by the one who enters by the narrow gate and walks the hard way? It's life, right? Eternal life, abundant life, life beyond what this world can offer. And that's why wisdom is commanding this attention and pleading with people to understand. It's a way that leads to life. The easy way leads to death. The self-indulgent way leads to death. That's the point. And if Christ's path to glory was cross-bearing before crown-wearing, then why should we expect anything to be different for those who follow after him? His path to glory was through the cross. Our path to glory is through the cross. Why should we be surprised if it's any different for us? Wisdom has to command attention this way because her, her beginning is hard, but the end is sweet. 
the exact opposite of the unfaithful wife who begins with sweet words and leaves the person with nothing but death. That's why wisdom is commanding attention and commands attention so that she might confer her blessings. It's a wonderful, there's a wonderful shift that happens between verses 11 and 12 where wisdom stops commanding and starts identifying who she is. First, by sharing all of these characteristics about herself so that we might know the blessedness that is characteristic of wisdom. And then wisdom says, and all of these blessings I not only possess but can confer on those who love me. So verse 12, we begin this wonderful description of who wisdom is, the blessed character of wisdom. It says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. There's a, there's a perfection of mind with wisdom. Wisdom is in her right mind. She dwells with prudence. Uh, that means shrewdness or a cleverness of mind. Um, she dwells with prudence. She finds knowledge and discretion. Uh, she knows things. She's clever about things. She knows everything she needs to know, and she has the discretion to use that knowledge. That discretion could be translated witty inventions or a kind of mental agility or versatility. Wisdom knows everything and knows how to use what she knows for life. It's the rightness of mind that is to be desired. To know things and to know how to make use of those things. There's a rightness of mind that's possessed by wisdom. There's also a rightness of heart. Because the fear of the Lord is known by her. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Now she has a right heart. A right heart towards the Lord, expressed here as hating evil. And that's a, that's a wonderful combination of factors because there are lots of people that know a lot and are clever. Who know a lot and can use their mind in shrewd and clever ways. But if their heart is not controlled by a fear of the Lord, it's a worldly kind of wisdom. Here is a right mind also accompanying a right heart that fears the Lord and hates what is evil. Uh, hates what he calls evil. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between defining evil as you would define it and defining evil as God defines it. Wisdom knows what evil is and hates evil. And it hates the things that blind us to seeing evil aright. When God says something is evil and we come along and say, well, I'm not so sure that's so bad. What is that an act of? It's an act of pride. It's an act of arrogance to say that we know better than God what evil is. Um, that God is somehow out of touch with time. Maybe is too old-fashioned to be listened to. Actually, God knows what evil is. What we do is we come along in our own pride and arrogance and say, I think I know better. And wisdom says, I don't do that. Pride and arrogance I hate, and the perverted and twisted speech I hate. 
Because what you also have to do once you act in your pride and arrogance to, to say God's wrong is then you start talking as if God is wrong. And wisdom says, you know, I'm against all of that. I understand who the Lord is. And I fear him. And I hate what he hates. And I don't dare call what he hates right. And I hate the pride and arrogance that would make this God your adversary. Um, and I hate the speech that would try to be a cover for that kind of heart. Wisdom is perfectly right in her heart. And she's possessed of a right mind and a right heart that leads to the right kind of action. She's perfectly equipped to do things in the world. I have counsel. I have sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. She has all of those heavenly and divine qualities that are with God. Right? Job 12, 13, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Isaiah and Isaiah 11 too ascribe these to the Spirit of God and to the Mediator Messiah who would come in the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's a mind and a heart that's in step with the Lord that equips one to be successful in all they attempt in the Lord's service. They're equipped for right action. They have the right mind to do the right plan and they have the strength to carry it out. That's the glory of what wisdom says she possesses. And she says, you know, I not only, I not only have all of these things, but I confer these things on those who love me. Her blessed character is not hers alone. She has it to confer. And who does she confer these blessings on? On all who love her. And all who diligently seek her. And sure, it's, by, it's for kings and for people in high places. They who govern justly govern by wisdom. But sure, her message is not just for kings and people in high places. Her, her message is for all. These things are for all who love me and who diligently seek me. Because that's the promise of verse 17. Sure, verses 15 and 16, kings reign by wisdom, but she's for everyone. Verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Her message is for all, her blessings are for all. And this is where we find the true key to living and receiving the blessings of wisdom. What do we need? We need to love her. It's a way of saying we need to love the things of the Lord. We need to love his word. We need to love learning his word. We need to love living his word. And we need to search diligently for it. Right? Those who seek it, find it. She's coming to find you. You should go find her. Um, so that you can apply these things. So this blessedness can be yours. And so what does this remind us again? What's required for us to love as we ought to love? We need a changed heart. Right? The heart we're born with will not love wisdom. It's not a natural thing to do. To love wisdom and to be willing to embrace all of those difficult things we talked about. And so what, we, what do we need to really love the things of the Lord? We need the Lord to change our hearts. I love how one commentator put it. Wisdom demands a changed human nature. What Jesus called being born again. 
For in Adam all died spiritually, and so do not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Lady whose wisdom's offer is efficacious only for those whose hearts have been regenerated to love her. Right? Without a heart enlivened by the Holy Spirit, we'll never see this wisdom for what it is. We'll never see this wisdom as the key to life and having abundant life. Um, we'll do as so many in the world do, think it's, it's, a, it's a, just an anchor that will drag you down and deny you living the life you want to live. It's only a heart changed by the Holy Spirit that sees these things for the valuable things that they are. And what does wisdom promise to those who love her? It's the wonderful promise of verse 21. Granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. It's all the treasure that's described in verses 18 through 20. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. What does wisdom offer? Riches and honor that don't fade away. These are the heavenly treasures Jesus taught us to store up, right? And he said, why should we store up heavenly treasures instead of earthly treasures? Because heavenly treasures, there's no thieves that break in and steal, and there's no moth or rust that can destroy them. Heavenly treasure is, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1.4, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wisdom offers riches and honor that don't fade away, like the riches and honor of this world. And a promise that she will go with us on the path that leads to life. Verse 20 says, I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice. The whole book has been exhorting us to walk on this path. And what do we find here? That when we walk on the path, we have wisdom as our companion. To guide us on the path and to make sure that we don't get off it. That we stay on the path and find the way that leads to life. See why Lady Wisdom is so praised in this passage? Because what she promises us and what she points us to is a greater world beyond the horizon of this world. She helps us to lift up our eyes and see this world is not everything. There's a whole other world beyond this present evil age that is worth giving up everything you would have to give up in this life to get to that age, to get to that life, and to enjoy its blessings. It's wisdom that helps us to understand that there's an eternal life of blessedness and joy beyond which we will ever be able to know or imagine in this life. That there are glorious riches that await us with our Heavenly Father as those who are co-heirs with Christ that are better than any kind of riches this world has to offer. That there is the everlasting honor of being those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who the Lord Jesus loved enough to come into the world and as the sinless Savior lay down his life for those he loved and the Father had given him. There's an honor in belonging to him beyond any honor in this world. To have his righteousness imputed to us. And what Lady Wisdom consistently does is call out and say, Leave everything in this life to follow Jesus that you may be given everything in Jesus beyond anything this life could offer. 
it's not just a call to give up something. It's a call to give up something small for something great. To give something that will not last for something that will last. And if we think that our treasuries are full by grace in Jesus Christ now, how much more full will they be when he returns in glory? When all of our faith becomes sight and all that we hope for becomes reality and we dwell forever face to face with the one who loved us with an everlasting love. That's a treasure worth pursuing. And the good news is those who seek it, find it. To those who knock, it's opened. Um, If we seek wisdom, we will find it. We will walk with the Lord and we will live. What a glorious inheritance awaits those who find wisdom. May we find it by the Spirit of God in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the blessing that it is to us. And we thank you for the great praise of wisdom. We pray that we would all be equipped by your spirit with hearts to see and love wisdom for what it is. To embrace the riches that we have in Jesus Christ and to value them above everything in this world. So give us eyes to see Jesus and all that we inherit in him. And may we praise you as the great giver of all things. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.